All right, everybody, it looks like we are up and going. Uh, I'd like to, as always, welcome everyone who is watching and following along with this edition of the Virginia Sports uh, Hall of Fame's Hall Call Interview Series. I am Will Driscoll, as always, the Executive Director of the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. Again, hoping everyone is staying safe, healthy as the holiday season continues. We're almost to a new year. Hopefully it's a little bit better than this year. I don't know if there's anywhere to go down from this year. Um, but anyway, let's not talk about that. Let's, let's talk about some sports today. Uh, for anyone who follows college football recruiting, National Signing Day has, has long kind of been the equivalent of a holiday. Uh, you got your message boards, your social media activity, tracking commitments, decommitments, and rumors. It, it really is enough to take a day off just to follow it all. And traditionally, the first Wednesday in February was the National Signing Day. But about three years ago, they transitioned that to the early signing period, allowing recruits and teams to get a jump on things uh, before the end of the year. Uh, with the early signing period beginning tomorrow, uh, we welcome Matt Hatfield with us today from VirginiaPreps.com and ESPN Radio 94.1. Matt has the pulse of all things recruiting here in Virginia. So, Matt, pleasure to be joined by you today. Our pleasure, Will. Uh, life treating you well? Life is good so far. You know, nice holiday season. The year's almost done, like I said, so nowhere to go but up. Uh, but I know that uh, I appreciate you taking the time today because I know that this is a, an extremely busy time for you. You are it's not just you, you don't just cover the recruits and the, the teams here in Hampton Road. You're all over the state. Um, you can follow Matt, though, on Twitter at Hatfield Spark Sports and Virginia Preps at VA Preps Rivals. Both of those are on Twitter. Uh, you can also send your questions in if you have any recruiting questions about your favorite school, your favorite player. Please feel free to send those to the stream, and we'll try to get those over to Matt during this interview. Um, Matt, let's let's first of all just kind of talk about the elephant in the room here, uh, COVID. How has that impacted this year's recruiting cycle? Well, it's funny, Will. Um, we've been speaking about this with a lot of people in the last several months, and I think it's affected the high school athletes all across the board in some ways maybe other sports more than football at least for the senior class because a lot of them with the class of 2021 most of them in the division one the fbs schools that are recruiting it's predicated on junior film so most of them got that junior year in if they're a high caliber power five one a or fbs player or even an fcs one double a target as some refer to them as so i don't know that it it really adversely affected them being on the radar screen. What it has done is I think it has resulted in more decommitments. We're seeing, and it's always, there's always a good number of those as you head into the signing period, this one or the one in February, that's been the more traditional one as you spoke of before three years ago. And I think now because of the virtual visits, you're not really getting a chance to touch and feel and be on campus for places. They're having to do it virtually. You get some of these coaching staff changes like we've seen here lately with the likes of take Auburn, for example just suddenly, I mean, they're in play for one of the top players in our area, George Wilson, a two sports standout from Green Run High School in Virginia Beach. And he had them along with North Carolina and Florida State in his top three. He's from, he's got family from the Alabama area. All indications were Auburn's the strong favorite after he decommitted from South Carolina. Remember, they changed coaches with Wes Muschamp a few weeks ago. Now the pendulum is starting to swing towards Florida State potentially. And we know they have a new coach this year in uh, Coach Norvell. And who knows what the long-term stability is there with the Knowles. So just literally a coaching change, any type of domino effect happens with that. And you see just the, the craziness that ensues with recruiting. 
it's amazing how fluid this is. And, and this is something that I really kind of got into probably about five or six years ago. And it probably coincided with the fact that that's when my alma mater temple became halfway decent at football. You know, you start looking at who's coming, who's going, who could potentially come. Um, but you mentioned that a lot of the, a lot of the current recruits it's predicated on junior film, but what about those guys that, you know, from 16 to 17, 17 to 18, a lot can change with the body. So you may go from, you know, 5'10", 160 pounds to 6'1", 195 over a three or four month period. How does that affect their recruiting when the coaches haven't been able to see bigger, stronger, faster on tape or in a game? It's a good question. I actually had this discussion with a buddy of mine who's a coach and his son was a high school senior a year ago in the Hampton Roads area. And basically there are these late bloomers that you find that they grow later, they mature physically, mentally, whatever it might be, you know, towards the end of their high school career, as opposed to the beginning of it, freshman, sophomore year. And really now I think, and we're seeing even more with basketball perhaps than football, the post-grad or prep options are more likely for them than to just go ahead and choose a school. Because as we found out this year, Will, a lot of these division two, II, division three schools haven't even had a football season. I mean, we've mm -hmm. seen most of the FBS programs across the country, whether a power five or group of five. Yeah, we, we just talked to ODAC commissioner Brad Bankson last week, and their football season isn't going to be until I think February is when they kick off and they're going to play, I think, five or six games. Right. And then you also have some changes going on, not a lot, of, a ton of them significantly with conferences and schools. But take, for example, next year, Emory and Henry is going to move up from the division three ranks to the division two level. So now their board changes and a kid they might've been looking at as a division three prospect. Now they're looking at the division two players who might've been saying, and again, in our state prior to that, there was only three division two in-state options you had either Virginia state, Virginia union or UVA wise. Now a player may entertain them, whereas they didn't do so previously before. So a lot of different things shift here, coaching changes, uh, perhaps the school makes a change. Uh, and not being able to be there in person to have that face-to-face -face contact. I do think it has a ripple effect both for those top-tier ranked guys, the four stars, the five stars, even the higher-end three stars, and even those that are on the radars of the FBS schools. And I promise everybody we are going to start getting into talking about the recruits, the teams, but I, I really just kind of want to paint the picture as to how this has affected everything. Another thing that I think is flying under the radar is the amount of scholarships that are available. Now, I know the NCAA did – uh, grants anybody who opted out an extra year of eligibility, and you are allowed, if you're a college, to offer more scholarships than I think 85 is what they're capped at, as, right. long as, as long as it matches the number of seniors on your team. Mm -hmm. But that's still money that the school has to come up with. So are you seeing anybody, are you seeing recruits and, and coaches uh, kind of being affected by the numbers crunch now uh, with the amount of scholarships that are actually available out there? I am. And it's funny, I was speaking with a parent uh, who's an assistant coach in another sport than football last night about his son who graduated um, a couple of years ago from high school and he went the junior college route. And now he's considering another junior college will or going to a division two and just the, the breaking down the pros and cons and just asking me, what do you think as far as is this a better fit? Is this not a better fit? What this school can do in terms of the scholarship, what this school, it's so, like you said, it's so fluid and it changes from, um, it used to be year to year. Now it's uh, week to week and month to month with some of these schools and, and these prospects. So yeah, I do think it's a really complicated situation right now. And, you know, the one matter of fact, before we got on this call, I had a buddy of mine asked me uh, this morning, what do you think um, 
the rushes for some of these kids. I said, well, it's not only just a rush for some of these kids to make a decision here before this first running period. Some are, you know, you say, why don't you wait till the second period? There's also the schools that squeeze these kids to make a decision because they have a board. They have guys they're trying to keep or they're looking at the transfer situation. I mean, just before we got on here, um, former Old Dominion standout Keon White announced that he is signing with Georgia Tech. So they're looking at the transfer portal. And this is more prevalent, I think, than in basketball and football. But now that becomes a reality. And now it's like, I got to keep my guys. I got to look at the transfer portal. And then you're looking at this guy, this guy. So they almost squeeze a kid to make a decision, even if that kid isn't ready. So it goes it goes hand in hand there with both the players and the teams on terms of the decision-making process and doing it against the clock. For anybody who's just joining us, talking with Matt Hatfield from VirginiaPreps.com and ESPN Radio, you and I are actually kind of doing a role reversal today. Usually I'm on your shows, and today you're joining me, so it's, it's kind of fun. Uh, but you talked about that you have the later period as well. So we're talking about the early signing day, early signing period beginning tomorrow. But National Signing Day technically is still the first Wednesday in February. Yes. Uh, Kind of talk about how this has all transitioned these last three years from that that kind of, you know, benchmark day in February to now this two month period where you have guys who can commit and then or, or other guys keep their commitments open and still kind of be pulled at by all a bunch of other schools. Well, I think in the past for us, it's been you know in the recruiting business in the world. I've been following it since around 2002, 2004. I'm working with Virginia Preps and the Rivals Network. It used to be a big deal for a lot of media outlets and people all across the nation. But for us, we kind of we turned the page to the next class, the juniors, because we've kind of already done our work and evaluations and stories on a lot of those players and so forth. But now with the two different periods and this pandemic we're in, I think it becomes even more fascinating and uncertain about where we are with things as we're seeing so many different decommitments, flips, uh, who's going where last minute. Most of the big boys kind of have an idea what their board's going to be, you know, for tomorrow, for example, or on the first signing period. But ultimately, um, where we're at with it, I think the thing that I like to see is do you get that hidden gem that nobody's talked about, just the, the big story? What's the big, you know, surprise get and as we get closer to that point, you know, first period or second period, you can see that can make or break a class if a school thinks they've got a guy and he doesn't. I mean, I'll never forget case in point. Um, Taj Capehart had committed to uh, Virginia Tech on our radio show the summer leading up to a senior year. There was no whispers, no buzz story at all about him flipping. And the morning of, boom, he leaves the Hokies and goes to Maryland. And there was a big connection at that time with Chris Beatty there on the coaching staff. And of course, he's now mining the Commonwealth and especially the 757 area code as an assistant at Pittsburgh. So there's always that shocker that comes. There's not a bunch of them. And used to, I used to say, in fact, the data, I think, was proven out through rivals or one of the scouting services, Will, that 92 percent, something of that nature, those kids stuck with commitments. I'll be really curious to see what that number is for this class of 2021. I would definitely think it's less than 90 percent. It might be in that 70 to 80 range as far as those that make a commitment and stick to it or change. There are all sorts of storylines heading into tomorrow for Virginia schools. Obviously, we have the two big ACC schools, but then you look at Liberty with Coach Hugh Freeze. I mean, they had a, a great season, but, you know, let, let's let's be realistic. The chances that he's there next year with the jobs that his name is being attached to are dwindling by the day. So when you look at a school like Liberty, how do they approach a day like tomorrow? Well, I think they take the approach similar to Virginia Tech, even though you've gotten the vote of confidence from the Hokies and Whit Babcock about Justin Fuente being there for the next coming season, is that, look, 
we had the best record of anybody in the Commonwealth. And even though it was a rocky offseason with everything that was going on off the field, losing a couple of key players that they were able to steal, I think, in the first recruiting cycle with Tavion Tank Land out of Ocean Lakes High School, Cottrell Trey Clark out of Manchester High School, and he actually contributed mightily this year uh, for Louisville in the ACC, Land going to Norfolk State, sitting out um, this year at least the Spartans not playing here in the fall of 2020. I feel like Liberty's got to continue its message of, look, we've got really good facilities out here. We've shown that we can compete with the big boys. We just beat Virginia Tech. So they got as visible of a win as anybody in our state this year. And they actually have going into uh, tomorrow, Will, 14 hard commits. And they've actually gone away a little bit from the Commonwealth. It's similar to their approach to Old Dominion when they made that transition from FCS to FBS. They've gotten some players from Georgia or Maryland, some others outside of the state. So Virginia's had this approach at times too. Okay, we might not be able to get this guy or this guy that's on our board in the 757 area or Richmond or Lynchburg. How do we fill in the gaps? And I like their class a lot. Again, they haven't gotten that big splash name like they might have gotten with Clark and Land, who were figured to be power five players. But I think they've got pretty good depth to their class. And I think they're going in the right direction. Now, what remains to be seen is where is Hugh Freeze going? So I think they just continue that solid message until something happens. If you make any kind of vibe with your recruits and you go away from that, that's when you lose them. So you, get, you just got to continue that message. Otherwise, I think it could fall apart for them. Looking at uh... – you know, the rivals top 40 in the state, there aren't many that are still listed as undecided. Now, obviously everything right now is verbal. Uh, who, who could be the biggest name to that, that is undecided currently that could come off the board tomorrow and where do you think they might be going? Yeah, I would look at George Wilson, um, Tristan Lee, who's the top rated depending, mm -hmm. he's one, two or three. I mean, everybody kind of looks at him and Trevion Henderson, uh, the Gatorade state player from Hopewell, who's committed to Ohio State. And he's planning to enroll early as the top two or three guys there. But um, George Wilson has really skyrocketed up the board, Will. There was a big discussion of who was better at that defensive end edge rusher. Everybody loves these edge rushers. I mean, you just put on the TV on Sundays, you see what Chase Young is doing for Washington now, and he's, how these pass rushers can be a game changer and wreck the game. Hassan and, Reddick, you're a Cardinals fan. You saw oh, I love did. him. You saw what he, did actually, <laughs> he was fantastic. Um, if we can do that every week, we might actually make, not only make the playoffs <laughs> advance, but nonetheless, if you get a guy like him, there was the big discussion who's better. And it was a healthy discussion. Who's better between George Wilson of Green Run and other city rival, Naquan Brown of Ocean Lakes. Naquan had committed to LSU, backed out of it. He's verbally committed with Pitts, to Pittsburgh with his teammate Miles Alston, wide receiver. And it's interesting. I think Naquan was further along about a year, year and a half ago because George was naturally a basketball player first. And he got an, his first offer was from Hampton U as a basketball player, amazingly, as a JV basketball player. He wasn't even a varsity. They just saw his length and his athleticism. They said, we love this kid. He was playing JV basketball. He started playing football and really had his breakout year a season ago in Blossom where he started getting the SEC attention that Naquan Brown was getting. And now you wonder if not so much Naquan Brown's going the other way, if George Wilson's just exploding past him and everybody else. And he's kind of the hot name on the board because Tristan Lee is expected to announce in January pretty much between Oklahoma – who's his expected favorite, and Florida, who he just visited this past weekend. So Wilson, I keep an eye on him. UNC, which is doing extremely well in the Tidewater area. Dre Bly's on the staff. Um, in fact, former Super Bowl champion, as you know, Western Branch High School ties there. Uh, they've gotten Tony Grimes. They've gotten Cameron Kelly, Dazlin Daz Newsom from Hampton High. UNC, Auburn, Florida State. Florida State seems to be the lean right now with him 
But I wouldn't rule out UNC because they pulled a couple surprises before, and they're certainly going to probably stay in the mix depending on what their scholarship limits are and their board, their board has. That seems to be the reason why UNC is not the favorite is they've kind of been on the fence about can we squeeze him in on this class given the numbers. Yeah, Dre Bly, you mentioned the 2017 uh, Virginia Sports Hall of Fame inductee. He was heavily involved in the recruitment of Grimes from Princess Anne last year, and so he's, he's obviously making waves down there in Chapel Hill. But, you know, listening to you talk about all the players you just did, you're mentioning programs like Oklahoma, LSU, Florida. You know, these are the blue bloods of college football. And our talent is leaving the state to go to these schools. Is that something that we should be disappointed as Virginians that they're leaving the state? Or should we take pride in the fact that Virginia has now become almost a, a mini hotbed for college football talent? It's a great question. And I say yes and no. Yes, disappointed and no, not so much, because let's be honest here. When you're the guys of Derek Nottie, who's playing on Sunday for the Chiefs, and you see a Jalen Holmes who's playing on Sundays for the Vikings, when you get those opportunities to go to Ohio State and Florida State, and they're competing for national championships, no disrespect to UVA and Virginia Tech, they're just not that level right now. You can't fault those kids who are, in some cases, four- and five-star players for going that route. Now, UVA had that run of five-stars, Will, when they got Taquan Smoke, Mizell, Quinn Blanding, both from Bayside High in Virginia Beach, and Andrew Brown from Oscar Smith in Chesapeake, and they really did a good job, Mike London, being from the Tidewater area of cultivating those relationships with those kids and those coaches early on. And it paid benefits in recruiting, didn't translate to the best of results the way they had hoped for on the field. And I feel like, you know, if UVA and Tech get more depth of three-star guys, whether they're from Tidewater, Richmond, Charlottesville, Roanoke, wherever they're from, if they get more depth and they win eight or nine games, people aren't going to care as much about those guys going to those big-time programs because, let's be honest – Regardless of where you're from, those four and five star guys are often choosing the Alabamas, the LSUs, the Ohio States. Those are the ones recruiting those guys. So it's it's very rare for Tech and UV to get those guys. I think they were spoiled of the success of those guys going back to the Cam Chancellors, the D'Angelo Halls, the Bruce Smiths that Virginia Tech had in their run of the late 80s, 90s, and 2000s. And UVA's surprisingly getting those five stars, that's just not the norm. We just had a little bit of a different run there. So it'll happen every now and then. It's just not the norm. The focus is always on the, the names that hit the ESPN 300 or the Rivals 300 and then top 25 in each state. But how deep is the talent pool here in Virginia for those two and three stars for the ODUs, the JMUs, Norfolk States, Hamptons, the rest of the schools in Virginia to kind of fill out their rosters without having to break the bank and go recruit out west or out up north and out in the Midwest? Yeah, I think it fluctuates. I've seen it more with basketball be rough for the likes of Old Dominion and VCU when they're trying to cover their bases of Richmond and Tidewater, Will, and they move into the Atlantic 10 Conference USA. They're just kind of caught in between what they used to be in the CAA and then now having to recruit against some of these power programs. So they've had to go out of state for basketball. There's fewer guys. It's more selective. For football, I think there's enough depth in this state, and it's, it's not as cyclical. I think we have a, more of those three-star level guys than we do the four or five stars. When we have a big year, and we've had a couple of them, we get a couple of the big four or five stars, that gets the headlines. And, for example, next year, the 2022 crop, which I know we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but there's about three offensive linemen in our state that are probably – three of the top five offensive linemen in the country. Similar to that wow. class where you had Brown and Blanding and Deshaun Hand, who went to Woodbridge High School, played at Alabama, and Jalen Holmes, all those guys, when they had that run back in, I think they were 2013, 2014. I'm getting old. I forget what class they were in. But <laughs> that run of about eight, nine years, you'll see a class come up and you say, ooh, 
this is intriguing. And it's really fascinating when you get a position like that with offensive linemen or, you know, linebackers, for example. This year, I think the class is really deep at running back in Virginia. When you got the likes of Malik Newton from Lake Taylor signed with Pittsburgh, right down the road at Booker T. Washington, Rodney Hammond also signed with Pittsburgh. And then maybe a record setter, if we had had a full season for high school football, Trenton Atkins from Ridgeview, a small, relatively new school out in southwest Virginia, He's going to Toledo, and he had some of the big boys looking at him as a freshman, sophomore in Florida, Penn State, kind of fell off, didn't stay in contact as much, didn't go to some of the bigger camps and combines. And it wouldn't surprise me at all, Will, if we see him much like we're watching a Tavante Beckett at Marshall, Dazzle as a linebacker, or Kevin Marks from Norview get playing time and make uh, huge plays for Buffalo. If he goes to the MAC and he just tears it up there for Toledo. Now, I don't want to diminish any of the rivalries that we have in this state, but the big one, particularly when it comes to recruiting, is, is Tech and UVA. Who stands to benefit the most tomorrow? I think, uh, believe it or not, it's probably going to be UVA because they've got more of the in-state guys that are ballyhooed coming in. And it's not guys that are the four or five stars, but I take some of the stories of a couple of these players, like an Aiden Ryan from James Monroe, uh, I think he's a great get for UVA. He's a player that makes plays on the football, interceptions. He could end up being one of those guys that sneaks into a draft in a couple of years. He was an early get for them, and I like the direction they're going with him and some of these in-state players they've gotten. So far, 23 total commits for them. And you look at Virginia Tech's board, Will, they don't have currently, according to rivals, a single four-star player on its list, which is unheard of because that was really where Frank Beamer and that, you know, Beamer, Bud Foster, they dominated getting the four stars and they've had to go outside the state. They just got a couple of players from Salem, Virginia to flip and the McDonald twins, Jaden and Jordan. But if you look at UVA's, they got some of these guys early to commit there. Michael Green from Lafayette High School in Williamsburg, linebacker tight end Malachi Fields from Charlottesville, a wide receiver who's 6'4", got good frame, good size to him. I feel like they've got more of those guys that even though they're ranked as three stars as well, um, I feel like they have some four-star potential. They actually got a couple of four-stars, one of which out of state at defensive end for them. Um, and Bryce Carter was the big jewel for them. They just got him to verbally commit a couple weeks ago from the uh, Richmond area. He started out at Thomas Dale, got a lot of attention playing as a teammate of Chris Tyree, who got on the field this year as a running back for Notre Dame. And he went to Life Christian. And I think he fell off a little bit, dinged up a little, 6'3", 240. I think he's a big impact player for them on defense. And remember, they're probably going to lose a couple of those guys in the front seven defensively. So I could see him being a rotation player early. And Virginia Tech, to me, didn't have that big-name splash guy. The one guy that could be a, um X-factor for them, though, is E.C. Atute, which is easy for you to say out of Cox High School <laughs> in Virginia Beach. He's an outside linebacker safety. He had a couple of games where he scored defensive touchdowns as a junior will, and it's the same high school as Tavion Robinson, mm -hmm. uh, who's been a big playmaker for them um on offense this year so he could be a guy that you know he was starting to get some attention from the big 10 sec schools he committed before he got some of the offers from those schools i could see him being the diamond in the rough in their class and maybe he's the breakout guy that they're banking on much like you know they did before with a cam chancellor if you will i'm sure that'll get the hokey message boards going tomorrow but uh, a passionate fan base uh, always has been um, bringing it a little bit more local, ODU, a very unique situation, probably one of the most unique situations in the country where you have a new coach who's been here for a full year, but he has yet to coach a game. Um, very fertile recruiting ground here in Hampton Roads and obviously throughout the state. Uh, what are you expecting from Coach Ricky Ronnie and his hall tomorrow? 
you know, they, they made such a big boom, Will. I thought the hire was a really good one, and their class was better than expected this past year. Last right? year's class. Yeah, I mean, yeah. with Lamorion James and Malcolm Brett, I think I told you a couple of times, they were arguably the two best players in the Southeastern District in football, and they got them when Lamorion had initially committed to North Carolina, and Malcolm Brett was getting some of the service academies, looking at him like Navy and Army and Air Force. Um, I don't know that their class is going to generate as much attention this go around, and they just lost a commitment um, that was viewed as a pretty big one in Billy Edwards, quarterback from Lake Braddock High School in Northern Virginia. He was kind of the player that, if you follow social media, he was getting other guys to join the Monarch Nation movement, if you will. And Tariq Sims from Loudoun County had given them a verbal. And just kind of at the last hour, here comes the ACC school in the picture in Wake Forest, and they offer many commits. And it's hard to fault a kid getting that ACC dream. They did get a quarterback, uh, Wake Forest, from Northern Virginia just this past year in um, Mitch Griffiths. So you do wonder about the playing time. He could have got maybe perhaps more playing time early on at Old Dominion. Nonetheless, the Monarchs are keeping their fingers crossed for Billy Wild. He's a quarterback from Stonebridge High School in Ashburn. Word is he's pretty much down to two schools, and he just decommitted from Tulane, by the way. He's down to Old Dominion or a preferred walk-on situation at Clemson, which, you know, you don't generally see a preferred walk-on situation beat out an FBS program, even though Old Dominion was one of just a couple of schools along with UConn out to play this year. So if they get Billy Wiles, I think that will certainly ease the pain. You watched him this past year in the state championship game against Maury. I know you're alma mater, and I thought he played very gutty in the second half, gave them a chance to come back in that game, making some big plays without his um, stud receiver and Ty Felton, a Maryland pledge who was injured. Um, the one name to watch out for for Old Dominion is an out-of-state kid, Will, and we talked about his dad earlier, Jordan Bly, son of Dre Bly, out of the Charlotte area wide receiver. He's 5'10". I'm telling you, if this kid was 6'1", 6'2", he might be a ranked guy. He is terrific. I think he could end up being one of those great receivers we see at Old Dominion. Oh, by the way, like a Travis Fulgham or a Jonathan Duhart. So that's the name, an out-of-state kid that they were able to steal, I think, because if he was just bigger, had better measurables, we'd be talking about him being a four-star player. Speaking of out-of-state kids, what are a couple other names that, you know, Virginia, not, not just UVA, but I'm talking Virginia college football fans should be paying attention to that will probably be coming in-state to play for one of our schools? Well, when you look at Virginia Tech, I think the name that's also going to ring a bell is Jack Hollyfield, linebacker from Shelby, North Carolina. Brother Dax was uh, one of the guys, I think, jumping in the, what was the sprinkler week before against Clemson, if you saw yes. that. <laughs> yeah, he's a name, just the bloodline, 6'3", 225. Any type of linebacker that's got that type of frame is always going to jump out at people. Another one to watch out for for UVA. And again, I think they've done a really good job of getting not just players from the Commonwealth. You know, a couple of years ago, that was the criticism of Bronco Mendenhall, Will, was that he got more guys from out in the mountains in Hawaii than he did Virginia. Well, they've gotten a couple of players closer to the Eastern time zone here. And one of them um, that I'm going to watch out for here is a running back from Georgia, Ahmad Faustin, six foot 205. He verbaled to them back in January. He's been forgotten about to me. And Georgia's produced a lot of great running backs. So if UVA and their running game, kind of was inconsistent towards the end of this past year. If he can come in and give them some pop, maybe not right away, three or four years from now, he could be the guy that you'd say long-term was one of the big steals for their class, even though he's not a highly ranked guy. Just coming from that fertile state of Georgia where you can be a good running back and be forgotten about, could pay dividends for the Hoos. Yeah, you, you mentioned as, as robust as our recruiting talent has become over the last couple of decades, you get down to that Georgia, Florida, Alabama, kind of that deep south area. 
And, you know, the guy who might be the 25th best running back would be the best in a lot of other states. So always good to get some flags planted down there. Um, when it comes to national letters of intents, nothing is certain until that name is signed on that paper. Yeah. And tomorrow is the day that that can begin. Are there any potential twists and turns if you had to predict that we could see tomorrow with a couple of decommitments or opening, reopening up their commitment? Well, a couple to watch out for. Oklahoma, believe it or not, got two of the top 10 players in the state in Kelvin Gilliam, defensive tackle, Highland Springs, and his teammate, Damon Harmon, defensive back, Highland Springs, who, by the way, might be the best defensive back. You know, so much in the summertime was talked about Tony Grimes, and he went up in some of these camps, and he held his own. I'm not saying he's Tony Grimes, but he was mighty impressive. I think they're good with Harmon. I'm not as entirely convinced about Gilliam because you keep hearing whispers every couple of weeks that Notre Dame's trying to get in here and get him. And Notre Dame's gotten a couple of players from the state that have uh, paid off for him, most notably Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa from Bethel, who's projected as a first-round pick next year. And it was just Notre Dame a couple of signings, uh, a few signing days ago, Will, that ended up getting Owusu. It was down to them in Michigan State. There was whispers Michigan State had taken the lead, and Owusu was initially a UVA commit. So watch out for Gilliam. I, I think he's still going to pick Oklahoma. And if they end up getting Tristan Lee, what a job they did, Lincoln Riley and his staff in the Commonwealth. The other name, and he just decommitted today, in fact, Will, a little bit surprising to some of us, was DJ Sims, wide receiver from Christ Church. Um, a young man who I think is still filling out in his body. Christ Church playing the private school football doesn't play some of the big boys in major competition. I think he got a little bit underrated because of his athleticism. Well, he had committed to Wake Forest, and just today – both UVA and Virginia Tech offer him. So that'll generate a lot of buzz and attention on the message boards if one of them are able to land him tomorrow. There's no definite that he will sign a letter of intent for tomorrow. He may push it till February, and that would make sense since he just decommitted today. However, he might have decommitted today because he has an idea of who he's picking, and it might be the Who's, might be the Hokies, could be somebody else entirely. You just the names. I'm always amazed at how dialed in you are to just recruiting all across the state and all the zip codes. Um, you know, just, I have to always get somebody out on a question that generates a little bit of controversy. But where are we seeing the most impact players from? Is it Hampton Roads, Northern Virginia, Richmond, the Roanoke area? Which area code right now is probably generating the most talent when it comes to college football? I'm probably going to upset my fans and Tidewater. And I, I think uh, both Roanoke and Northern Virginia areas have closed the gap, as well as Fredericksburg. Fredericksburg is kind of the, the hidden gem in the state. Tidewater generally wins this uh, question all the time. And I think in a couple of years, it's going to win it again. But right now, for today, at this moment, I think it's Richmond right now. I mean, you look at Trevion Henderson from Hopewell. I mean, you put on his film, and when people start dropping the name Percy Harvin, that gets your attention right away. I mean, he's that's a big name. Yeah, he's that electric, and he could end up being one of those guys that's got a Heisman pose for Ohio State in a few years. Wouldn't shock me. I mean, the guy scored about 52 touchdowns this past year. And then you get to those Highland Springs players that I mentioned with Gilliam and with uh, Harmon. Beyond that, Bryce Carter. In another year, he'd be third or fourth best player on the board. He's seventh or eighth in some people's boards this year. And just beyond that, I think there's some depth at a lot of these schools like your LC Birds your Henricos, your Monikins, your Matokas. I mean, it can we even talk about for Virginia Tech, Jalen Jones, inner city school in uh, Richmond, Thomas Jefferson High School. Um, he's a legit wide receiver that if you told me he ends up playing for the Hokies and has a couple thousand yard seasons, I wouldn't be surprised by it because he's just got that type of pop to him in some of his plays on tape. So there's a bunch of guys even beyond the top 10, 15 players 
on the state ranking board that you could say, all right, he's a guy that could be a two, three-year starter at that school that he goes to? Well, I think if, if I've taken away one thing from our conversation today, it's the fact that Virginia is definitely a player nationally when it comes to producing top-level talent. And I think that regardless of who you root for, you should get out when we can be, when we can get back to Friday night football. Go out, watch your local high school games because you might be seeing some significant talent uh, for tomorrow. Uh, Matt, always a pleasure catching up with you. I know tomorrow is going to be really busy the rest of today into tomorrow and then the, the subsequent recruiting period. So thanks for taking some time out for us today. Absolutely. Well, I love that Squires 32 jersey. I get, I get me one of those. The doctor. The doctor. <laughs> Uh, you can follow Matt on Twitter again at Hatfield Sports and Virginia Preps at VA Preps Rivals on Twitter. Uh, follow them all day tomorrow. I'm sure they'll be updated constantly as the commitments come in. Um, I'd like to thank everyone, as always, all of our partners uh, for a hall call, Priority Automotive, City of Virginia Beach, DAVCON, Optima Health, ESPN Radio, and our friends at the Hampton Road Sports Commission. Be sure to follow the Hall of Fame on all of our platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at VA Sports HOF. Once again, I'm Will Driscoll with the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. This is probably our last hall call of the year. So if we don't talk to you, have a very safe and happy holiday season, and we'll see you in 2021.